You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm here, as always, with David Ramil. We're finally getting to our mailbag. We took Monday off. We are on Transmissions Tuesday, so let's just get right into it. Our first question comes from... Oh, man, I probably should have practiced this first. Yusuf Kangundu? Sounds about right. All right. Sorry, Yusuf, if I messed that up. Everyone kept comparing... This is... Yusuf, everyone kept comparing Justice Winslow to Kawhi Leonard when he came out of the draft, but those expectations are too high. Kawhi has turned into one of the league's best shooters. The best case scenario for Winslow is someone like Jimmy Butler. He wasn't a good shooter when he entered the league and isn't the greatest shooter now, but he finds a way to score, whether it's in the mid-range game or getting to the paint. What do we think? Well, do you want to take this first? No, go for it. I want to hear your take on this. Ooh, interesting. Um, Well... The first thing I think of is when Winslow was coming out of the draft. That was the 2015 draft coming out of Duke. And I want to remember where we were then. That was a year removed from Kawhi Leonard winning finals MVP. And the summer after the season, he just won Defensive Player of the Year. So it was really Kawhi's come up. And I think at that point, you know, the NBA being the quote-unquote copycat league that it is, you know, right. I think everybody was just looking for their Kawhi Leonard. And when Winslow was coming out, he was the closest thing to that. He was a, a defensive first wing who could, who was a versatile player, could play some three, play some four, um, was a raw shooter just like Kawhi was when he was coming out of college. So people thought, okay, if Kawhi could do it, Justice Winslow could certainly learn how to shoot a decent jumper. I think at that point, that was, that was the year before... Leonard came out and started shooting like 40% from three. He was like a 35 or 36% three-point shooter, which is a, a reachable goal for a lot of people, I think. Right. Um, so just trying to keep in mind where we were then. You know, Jimmy Butler wasn't what he is now. DeMar DeRozan wasn't what he is now. And so that was the first comparison, and that's kind of, I think, something fans and or just analysts of the league and just everybody who compares Winslow to Leonard who are a lot of people – they run. They've they use that and they've ran with it since. So just kind of keeping that uh, in mind. But I I agree that that's not a great comparison. Pat Riley, even when he drafted Winslow, compared him to Draymond Green right off the bat. And I love that comparison because they're both smaller for their position, probably best suited at power forward. You know, they're really strong for their size. They're incredibly versatile, and and moreover, they have in, incredible instincts for the defensive end. Not to say Kawhi doesn't, but um, all those other similarities. I like that. I like that Draymond comparison a little bit more to Winslow. I think Draymond isn't as disruptive as Kawhi Leonard as far as getting steals and having hands the size of a car. But mm-hmm. Winslow is that kind of versatile. I think he's more locked down than disruptive, and that reminds me more of Draymond Green. So I can keep going with this, but I want to hear your thoughts first. Well, I, I'm curious about the the comparison to Butler because I think. That one works as well as far as his ability to be a lockdown defender. But he's, he's also being asked more now than ever during his career to be a primary scorer. And he's risen to the challenge. He's still limited in some regards. He doesn't necessarily have that kind of long range that they need there. But he does have the quickness and athleticism to get his shot off whenever he needs to. And that's been a plus for Chicago, one of few this season. So uh, I don't think that we're at that point 
as far as Winslow is concerned, whether or not he'll ever be a primary scorer, that that seems very unlikely at this point. And so you have to look at how the roster is composed around him. And for now, I think he's better suited for the Draymond role. I think you're absolutely right. He's a, he's also a playmaker uh, at the forward position. I think he can do a lot of things offensively aside from just scoring he, uh, as to, to make him a positive impact there. And of course, his defense, like you pointed out, is is a strong you know a strong point of his at this point. Um, what I do I, like I just, about the Butler and I want to just bring Demar Derozan into here is all these guys hmm. who. Not perimeter shooters. Not perimeter shooters, exactly. And they do they their you know number one option is to get to the rim, and then maybe they seek a mid range bucket. And we've been saying that about Winslow is you know if you can't shoot threes, don't shoot threes. I mean Dwayne Wade, who's a Hall of Famer, basically just shunned the three point line his entire career. And I know he's shooting a little bit more in Chicago, but it's not to a Steph Curry level. You know what I mean? It's not like he's a full completely trying to become Ray Allen at the end of his career. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. But I, I would say I would say the difference, though, and, and you can particularly see it in DeRozan, you can even see it to some extent with James Harden, obviously, is their ability to get to the free throw line. And that's something that Winslow just doesn't do. He doesn't earn enough trips to the line. He needs to develop a go-to move, an up-fake, something along the lines of Wade, where he gets people to commit to a foul early on. Or he can just flail like Draymond. One way or the other, he needs to be able Spins to low. earn. Yeah. That, but you see, but even that's so effective, and then he's so strong. He needs to, he, and he's so he lacks the the emotive display out on the court. He doesn't scream when he gets hit. Nothing. Yeah. Like I don't want him to become necessarily an and one machine or a flailer <laughs> like Draymond. But by the same token, he needs to react when he makes contact. I think he's just born and bred to just kind of absorb the contact and go, okay, good play, and then move on. Like you don't ever see him react and unfortunately look a lot of listeners probably say well that's flopping that's unfair it's like yeah that might be the case but it's also a really great tool to get to the free throw line and and that's a skill in its own way look i, I mean so i love that all you brought complaint- that up i love that you yeah. brought that up and I, while you were talking i was I, I googled jimmy butler's free throw attempts and right. how that's progressed his first season 1.3 attempts a game i mean he was only playing eight and a half minutes a game which sure. is nothing compared to what winslow was playing nearly basically 28 20 minutes more than him, but he was averaging one and a half, three free throw attempts a game. Um, by his second season, 2.8 free throw attempts per game. Winslow was 2.6 before having season ending shoulder surgery. So I think for Butler, he was drafted in 2011. He's only now, it wasn't until his fourth year in the league that he averaged 20 points a game. Before right. that, he's never averaged more than 13. So there's, there, and Winslow, and and of course Butler was taking twenty picks after Justice Winslow. You know what I mean? He was the last pick in the draft. Winslow was the tenth pick. So there's certainly more expectations lumped onto Winslow, but Butler had all that time to really develop. And of course he was playing behind Derrick Rose and some really good teams. But you know Winslow hasn't really been afforded that opportunity, like you were saying. I mean, what his responsibility is. He can't just go out there and work on how to get to the line. He can't just go out there and work on his three-point shot or just go out there and work on finding a move, you know? It's he's got to do all he's got to do all those three things and he's also got to rebound at a high rate. He's also got to learn how to facilitate a little bit. He's got to play multiple positions. Like he's being asked in his second year to do so many different things and be good at them and all of that lumped on top of now you have to guard the best op- opposing player. It's hard for him. So I I would like to give him maybe 
you know, the the three seasons that Butler has had that really up until this point, he hasn't obviously been the player he is this season where, you know, if the Bulls were a little bit better, he could arguably be an MVP candidate. But anyway, that all that to say is that I, I agree with you, Sif, in that the Kawhi Leonard comparison maybe it's a bit too much and you and I both agree that that's so and that we look at these other guys as maybe a more apt comparison absolutely I think maybe a a, a crossbreed of uh, Draymond Green and Jimmy Butler you know a a longer lankier defender but one who's also a versatile player and and, and can be a a playmaker so I think that's where he, he probably winds up fitting best all right here is our second question, and I, and you and I, we haven't played advice, the advice card on this podcast, mm. but here's our chance to write in our, our little advice column here on the show. Uh, this is from Harold from Boynton Beach. He says, so I used the SeatGeek app, and my wife for Christmas got me tickets to Heat vs. Hawks, Heat vs. Rockets, and Heat vs. Raptors. Wow. Mm. Nice, nice presents. Three games, yeah, absolutely. My girlfriend didn't get me nearly anything good. Um <laughs> She also said I could pick two more games. Wow. Your wife's awesome. Okay, so here are the games. He wants us to suggest which games. from Two games from this list. Nets, Wizards, Suns, Timberwolves, Pelicans, Hornets, 76ers. Now, these are all obviously home games. I'm not aware of the dates. I'm assuming you're asking these because they fit into your schedule, so that's not something we have to worry about. But I'm glad you used the SeatGeek app because SeatGeek is the smartest and easiest way to find tickets. For the Miami Heat, and if you're a real Heat fan, you want to go to the games. And maybe you didn't, maybe your wife wasn't as awesome as Harold and got you tickets to like 15 Heat games this year. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not the case, I'm sorry. But also, you can use the SeatGeek app yourself. All you have to do is download it from the App Store, go to the Settings tab, click Add a Promo Code, and enter the promo code LOHEAT. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's L-O-H-E-A-T. And you get $20 just for using the service. SeatGeek's great because it does all the work for you. And I'm convinced there's two kinds of people in this world. People that spend way too much time looking for tickets. And people that use SeatGeek. Be the people that use SeatGeek. And get $20 back. Harold. um, Be like Harold's wife and use the SeatGeek app. Be like Harold's wife and use the SeatGeek app. Or be like Harold and marry somebody that uses the SeatGeek app. Yeah, if you don't want to use it yourself, which I don't <laughs> recommend, find somebody who uses it for you. Right, exactly. It, you're missing out, though, because it's a lot of fun and it's easy to use. So, Nets, Wizards, Suns, Timberwolves, <clears throat> Pelicans, Hornets, 76ers. Why don't you pick one and I'll pick one? Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to pick the obvious one, I think. And, and to me, that would be the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. For all of their problems and the lack of continuity and things of that sort and their second half woes, um, I still think that this of the teams that he listed is probably the best from a watchability perspective. I mean, the Timberwolves were a lot of people's league pass choice. You know, I think a must watch TV. Um, you know, they've got three really good young players in Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine, and of course, Carl Anthony Towns. Some interesting matchups there. Uh, obviously Ricky Rubio is a dynamic and interesting point guard in his own right. So I think he's certainly a lot of fun to watch. Um, and, and to me, I think that this is just a team that's, even though they're struggling a bit, they're still going to at least put out a couple dynamic plays every game. Levine is good for some really great shooting from the perimeter as well as some really good dunks. And to watch a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, 
who's going to continue to be a star throughout the rest of his career. I think that's something that you've got to do. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people probably missed out on seeing Michael Jordan during those early, early years when he was carrying these no-name Chicago Bulls teams. And they probably would have wanted to see it when he was just when his star was becoming brightest and brightest. And finally, of course, by the point by the time he won his first championship in 1991, I think, you know, a lot of people had seen him on TV or knew who he was. And then his star kept rising from there. But you could have gotten a chance to see him early on. I think this is an opportunity you get with Carl Anthony Towns. I love that. And I would have picked the same thing if you didn't pick it. The other options. I mean, do you want to go see the Wizards? I wouldn't pick the Wizards game. I mean, yeah, John Wall's fun. Bradley Beal's having a hell of a year. Sure. Uh, but, you know, we see the Wizards all the time. The Pelicans, for that same reason you're talking about Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. You know, to see somebody like that live in person, a unicorn, so to speak, as everybody keeps calling these guys, would be great. Sure. But, look, you're Harold, you're already seeing the Hawks. You're already seeing the Rockets. You're already seeing the Raptors. And if you go see the Timberwolves, chances are that's four losses. Go see the 76ers. <laughs> that's your best chance at a win. Um, other than the Nets game. But unlike the Nets game, at least with the 76ers, you get to see somebody like Joel Embiid in person, uh, who right. is freaking huge. Like, you'll be, your mind will be blown when you see him in person. Um, and his athleticism to go with it and the way he runs the floor. And plus that good matchup possibly between Embiid and Whiteside, assuming both are in that healthy for that game, which we can only hope. Um... I, I would probably say go to that 76ers game, leave one of these games feeling good, and also have a chance to see possibly another future star. And who knows? Maybe I don't. I don't know when the game is, but maybe Ben Simmons is playing by then. Who knows? But. Yeah, that's yeah. That's two really good young stars who are going to carry a, a historically great franchise, and I think it's a, a really fun opportunity there. I, th- I think that's a really good choice. Speaking of young great stars, here's our second question. Mm. This is from Mark Ambitali. Dion Waiters is a cancer. Constant and one calls and staring down the refs, obvious dirty plays that diminishes his credibility, such as grabbing Chris Paul's shorts, his uh, shot at J.J. Redick. His question is, WTF? <laughs> I love this question so much. More, more of a statement than a question, and clearly Mark is not a listener of our podcast. <laughs> it's a little surprising that he would throw that in there. Or maybe he is, he is. and that's why he threw it at us. But, we haven't uh, talked I, about know. Waiters in a while, to be fair. It's been, he might be a new listener. Mark might be a new listener. Waiters has been Well, there hasn't now. been. Yeah, he's been out for a while, so there hasn't been much to talk about. But Mark... You're wrong. There's no other way to say it. Um, I don't want to go. I don't want to devolve into talk show radio here. But there's no way in hell Dion Waiters is a cancer. Dion Waiters is a blessing, and everyone, every team in the league should have one. I don't know how, but if you're going to develop a cloning machine, the first person you should try it on is Dion Waiters, <laughs> specifically so every team can have one. All right. Next question. No, just that was an excellent answer, and I'm sitting here cracking up. Um, I love the idea of using a clone machine on Dion Waiters and then Dion Waiters being cloned and then immediately fighting with himself. Um, <laughs> oh, I didn't see the grabbing of the shorts of, of Chris Paul. I didn't I didn't notice that, so I can't speak to it. Um, and you and I basically debunked the Reddick hit on the last podcast because basically J.J. Reddick is short and Dion Waiters' elbows got in the way of his neck. And I don't think that, like you said on Twitter, if Waiters wanted to really make Reddick feel it, if he was intentionally trying to foul him, Reddick would have felt it. I think so. He wouldn't have just waved it off at the end. But all in all, look, I think um, all of those things are true, whether or not the Chris Paul shorts thing is true. But most of those things, yes. Does he call the and one and one all the time? Does he stare down refs ridiculously a lot? Yes. Um, does he take really bad shots? Of course. Does he miss easy bunnies at the rim all the time? 
Sure. But that's the worst version of Waiters. The best version of Waiters is that he could give you 25 points in a game and ignite an offensive run and, and create for others, which is, quite frankly, something that this Heat team needs. Now, I don't want to go as far as to say a player is a cancer. I don't think that Deion Waiters has ill intentions in any way. I think he's very competitive, and that comes out in the way of and one all the time. But uh, I think that given that he's on a one-year deal and it was a small deal, given that Dwayne Wade had just left, it was a, a, high ri- a, a low-risk, high-reward, one-year flyer that made a ton of sense, and it was an experiment. And more likely than not, given how the season has played out in general, not just waiters, he probably doesn't come back next year. But, hey, it was worth a shot. And I like Deion Waiters. I like him being on the team. I think that he'd probably be better as a reserve point guard as opposed to playing with the starters. I'd like to see him more with uh, Tyler Johnson in the backcourt and maybe even James Johnson. I think that would be a good fit in between those guys. Other guys who can create the ball, Tyler Johnson who could come off ball and Deion Waiters can you know do some pick and pops with Tyler Johnson and get him some open looks. I think all of that would work well. I think I think they're still trying to figure waiters into this rotation, which makes sense because he was out for more than twenty games. So, yeah. And if I can add to that, I mean, calling players a cancer is something you should try to avoid at all times. I agree. Uh, and particularly when you're talking about a guy who's just maybe you just don't like his style. And I, I know that you're pointing to the and one calls and things of that sort, they're not harming anybody other than Dion, to be honest. As we've talked about before, he probably would get more foul calls in his favor if he didn't do those things. But that's just the way he's played. He doesn't know any better. And that's not, you know, that's not nearly cancerous. A cancer to me is somebody that actively sabotages other players on your team, uh, sabotages the efforts of a coach, creates dissension there purposely and tries to hurt others. Waiters is none of those things. Right. Can he be a bit of a buffoon? Sure. That's why we love him. And, and to be honest with you, I think he makes things fun and interesting and chaotic, and that's all good. I mean, he's not a Hall of Famer by any stretch. He's not even a, a really competent player all the time, but there are moments there when he is great. He was good. Uh, he was really, really good when he was with Oklahoma City last year. And we're talking about a player who's still in his fifth you know, fifth year of his, in his career. He still has a chance at becoming a solid complementary role player and, and one who can be occasionally dynamic. So give him a chance, Mark. Maybe you'll come to the, the dark side and, and appreciate Waiters. Come to Waiters Island. There's always waiters, a drink for you. The Waiters Peninsula, yeah. We got mojitos ready. Yeah. Um, I like that you said chaos, and we'll move on right after this, but I like that you said chaos because the Heat aren't going to beat anybody straight up. So throw Waiters in there, add an ingredient of chaos a little bit, and then maybe, and you never know what that mix could create. The Heat maybe able to win a game against a better opponent, right? So, Absolutely. all right, next question. Why were Heat fans so in favor of re-signing Hassan Whiteside in the summer? It's a lot of money for someone who can't lead a franchise and is the third best player on a good team at best. This is mm-hmm. from Twitter, um, from Jobs Gabosa. I'm not even going to, a very strange Twitter handle, but we appreciate the question. Um, Absolutely. Well, I'm going to go ahead and answer this first. I don't know what the alternative was to... Not to resigning Whiteside. The other, the only other option is letting him walk away for nothing. And this is, this is the same argument I make in regards to the Tyler Johnson contract. Whether or not we overpaid or not, you couldn't let him get away for nothing. The, the Heat just don't have enough assets to let these guys walk away. Now all right. of a sudden, Tyler Johnson, you could at least trade him. Same thing with Whiteside. 
I think that there was an element of that there. Like, we discovered this guy, we can't let this guy get away from nothing. As far as the amount of the contract, that was the only amount that the Heat were going to be able to get him to sign for. Portland and Dallas were willing to give him max steals. I mean, he wasn't taking anything less than that. If he would, if he, would he probably would have. So, with those guys trying to get him away, you had to give him that much money. And they're paying... In one respect, they were paying for the opportunity to learn if Whiteside could lead a team. Because we didn't know necessarily if he couldn't, right? Like, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were on that team for so long. Goran Dragic and they were still. still yeah. And they were still on that team when, when he signed with the Heat. When the, when the contract was signed by Whiteside or when it was offered and accepted, we hadn't heard about you know, Dwayne Wade's situation. We thought Chris Bosh was going to be available. We thought he was going to be available until a week before the season started. So... This was going to be a completely different team where Whiteside was going to be the third best player on that team. So I think that's how the Heat were looking at it and many fans were as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe they've learned now after this season that he isn't somebody that you can build around. And I think you and I agree on that. He's a reluctant passer. He doesn't make teammates better. And that's fine Um, if that's going to be the third or fourth option on a team. Uh, But now, at the very least, at least... The Heat have an interesting asset to move. I think there are teams in the NBA that could really use Whiteside, and maybe, frankly, teams that are a better fit for Whiteside than what the Heat are doing right now, where they're Absolutely. actually relying on him to be the number one option. Or, you know, they got him for a long time. In a year or two, maybe he is the third best option on the Heat. You know, so yeah. I, I mean, I think it, to to Jabs Jabosa's point. Um, if you're going to trade him, this is probably the best time to do so because he, he his value could potentially decrease over time if he doesn't get surrounded by those kind of players that will maximize his efficiency and, and, and make him the best version of himself. You know, obviously, we're going to get some limitations from him. As you pointed out, he's not a willing passer. There are there are problems with his defense, his offense is limited, etc. So if you're going to move him, better to do so now when his star is as bright as it's going to get and see what you can get back from him. All right, next question. Who should the Heat draft if they can't get Markel Fultz? Um, Markel Fultz right now, the guard from, I guess a combo guard from Washington, is projected as the top pick on the draft. So if the Brooklyn mm-hmm. Nets and the 76ers beat out, um, and by the way, the Brooklyn Nets pick goes to Boston because they have the swap. Mm-hmm. Boston has a really good chance of getting Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. That's crazy. Ouch. I mean, that's insane. If they don't trade the pick, of course. Which, if, if Markel Fultz is there, if they have the number one pick, I don't see why they on earth they would trade that pick. Because Markel Fultz is a stud, and we've talked about that before. But for whatever reason, the Heat don't get the top pick in the draft. They can't get Markel Fultz. So let's say they're picking two, three, four, five. I think they're guaranteed right now, if they have one of the worst three records in the league, they're guaranteed a top five pick. Yeah. So now we're talking about um, Lonzo Ball, Josh Jackson, maybe Malik Monk. Um, uh, Dennis Smith Jr., the point guard from NC State. These are the names that are kind of in that. Jason Tatum from Duke. All these guys are kind of in that in that top five mix. Right. I like UCLA point guard Lonzo Ball. Uh, his, he's actually been a name that's been bouncing around the Heat a little bit lately. Goran Dragic and Josh Richardson went to go see him uh, when UCLA played Cal. And in the next game, UCLA's next game against Stanford, Pat Riley was actually in attendance watching that game. Lonzo Ball had a good game in both of those games. Um, Isn't he? Is he a is he a guard that he could play the two guard theoretically? 
So he's 6'2 or 6'3, but he's got a longer wingspan of to like 6'7. Okay. So like Reggie Jackson type body, I guess. Um, yeah. like well, kind of, Reggie's got like a seven foot wide. Yeah, super long that. arms. That's true. He's a little bit longer than that. But he's he does um, kind of have that like lankiness to him. So I guess he could play the two. Um, now, I, I did hear um, in the r- most recent podcast from Danny LaRue over at Real GM and part of the Locked On Podcast Network, yes. uh, I also heard him talking about Lonzo Ball. He is a, a UCLA alum, and he got a chance to see – he's had a chance to see Lonzo on a number of occasions. And what he pointed out in the most recent podcast was – how he just makes the right play. Mm. And that seems to be something that's very appealing. He's not necessarily the best shooter at this point. He's got a really wonky shooting motion. Um, he's not necessarily the best athlete, although people he is People compare his shooting motion to Kevin Martin for people that haven't yeah, seen Lonzo yeah. Ball and remember Kevin Martin. Yeah, sure. And, and well, a long I mean, time ago. <laughs> he just retired this past season. I think but so, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're talking about a guy who enjoyed mm. a, a double-digit long career in the NBA. It's right. something a lot of players can't. And he was a, a top scorer on a number of teams. Not a guy you can build around, which is part of the problem, but certainly a guy that you want on your team. So, um, and, you know, I think have, and, and I just want to compare the shooting motion just because he doesn't have nearly the, the point guard stinks or right. passing ability that Lonzo Ball has. Kevin right. Oh, well, there you go. Bad. Yeah. Conversely, yeah, exactly. So, you know, he's an interesting prospect there. And theoretically, a guy that you could put alongside Goran Dragic is another type playmaker or, you know, alongside Tyler Johnson. Maybe it's a smaller lineup than you'd like, but he is an interesting option, to say the least. I mean, I've been watching – I've watched Lonzo Ball's last two or three games just because I've been hearing his name in all of these reports and things. And and right. without going too much into it, I, I think the Heat really do like Lonzo Ball. Obviously, Pat Riley wouldn't have gone to the game if he didn't, right? So – I've been watching a lot of him, and I agree with everything that Dan LaRue said. I think he does make the right play. Is he a little un- too unselfish at times? Sure, but I'd rather that than the, the, the other side of the spectrum. Um, right. He's a guy that is, could put up – I don't think he's, he's going to come out and put up 30 points a game. He's not a huge scorer. You know, a lot of Heat fans might look at Kentucky's Malik Monk. He's a big scorer. He's a guy that could possibly one day in the NBA put up 28 points a game, right? But – Lonzo Ball to me is more of a okay maybe like eighteen points, twelve assists, and nine rebounds a game, and just but make winning basketball plays all the time, which we know is a favorite term of the Heat organization. So sure, I yeah. think if they get the second or third pick and Lonzo Ball's there, that makes sense. If they're dropping down a little bit more, I really do think the Heat's draft board looks like Markel Fultz at number one, Lonzo Ball at number two, and I'm not even quite sure that that's the order. It could be Lonzo Ball number one, Fultz number two. Mm. And numbers and anything beyond that, they trade the player. And, and you know, we all we always have to discuss the draft because I think we're in a position to do so right now with this team still struggling the way they are. But so much can change during the course of the season. We know that there are fans all over the country already looking at college ball as a scouting ground for potential prospects. But a lot can change with this franchise. We can make a big trade in the next few weeks. That could totally change the composition of this roster so that you don't know who you have at guard or at center or something else, which makes those a pressing need. It could change over the summer after the draft, unfortunately, where you can sign free agents. All of a sudden you get X player 
And now somebody becomes superfluous or something along those lines. And then again, even that could change in, in a smaller sense that there are European players right now that probably haven't gone scouted as thoroughly as they possibly can be. And over the next few months, will suddenly become top five prospects. Nobody knew who the hell Chris Stapps Brzingis was. Or very few people were talking about Chris Stapps Brzingis at the start of the season two years ago. Then he became a top five pick. Same thing with... Uh, Oh, God, I'm drawing a blank Dragon now. Bender. Mario Hazonia. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, Mario Dragon, Bender, Dragon exactly. Bender. All those guys, yeah. yeah. They're going to get scouted a lot more over the next few months. Sorry, and you're gonna start, Sure. And, and you're going to see them climbing draft boards more and more over the rest of the season. So just hang tight, and you don't want to miss out on the opportunity to, to potentially land a, a unicorn in the in the European draft. Well, you mentioned midseason trades that could happen, and I, I liked the segue that you were going with there um, to our, our fifth and final question here. Not so, not quite a question. I really like how this how Charles Miller phrased this. The Hawks are trying to trade Tim Hardaway Jr. for second round picks. That's the question, guys. First of all, love that you guys are mailing the questions. Put a question mark at the end of these things. Just <laughs> make it easy for us. But um, anyway, good job, Chuck, on this question. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. That would be kind of neat to have another Hardaway walking through American Airlines Arena, right? Unfortunately, yeah. the Heat don't have any second round picks to offer. So, uh, if Hardaway Jr. does, and the reason the Hawks are shopping Tim Hardaway Jr., he ended up getting some starts over Kyle Korver. Of course, Korver since they, they've since traded him to Cleveland, but um, he's a restricted free agent after this year. They're probably not going to re-sign him, so they're looking to get whatever they can. Just like with Kyle Korver, they're 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 cleaning house, so to speak, and they're trying to get as many draft picks in return. So, looking for second round picks plural. The Heat don't have second round picks singular. So I just don't see a way that they're going to be able to, to get that. But it's an interesting name. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the biggest appeal of it is to get a guy who you know played high school ball at Palmetto in Miami. Uh, you know, obviously his connection to the franchise with his father there. Um, but at the same time, I, mean, I don't even know that Hardaway is a player you'd necessarily want to have in Miami, right? I mean, his, his inconsistent shooting, mm-hmm. he's got the athleticism and everything else. Uh, he can be a good defender, although we haven't seen that very consistently either. I mean, even if you had the second round picks, would you want to trade those for Tim Hardaway Jr.? No. And the only, no. the only other thing I thought of was like, do you trade a player like Josh Richardson for Tim Hardaway Jr.? And it's, oh, God, no. No, you wouldn't. Of course not. And it's like the only, but that would be like, Excuse me. That would be like the only other option that he would have if they really felt that we need a Hardaway in here <laughs> for whatever reason. That would basically be the only thing that they could do, um, unless of course the Hawks would be like, "Yeah, we'll take Josh McRoberts because his deal doesn't expire at the end of the year." Take Tim Hardaway Jr. I don't know, but <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of, or like Wayne Ellington or something. But uh, I doubt that. I'm sure they're going to be able to. I'm sure some team could deal off a couple of protected second round picks and get the rights to Hardaway to match his restricted free agent deal at the end of the year. That's basically what we're talking about here. So, um, oh, I think we have one more question. Sorry. Last not a question necessarily, right? But Yeah, not a question necessarily. So we, we wanted to do something interesting um, and uh, just a little bit different. So we actually had somebody submit their question via audio. So here is Ethan Huffman with his, with his uh, trade idea. Hey guys, this is Ethan Huffman, Huffman underscore the one on Twitter. My idea today is to trade Hassan Whiteside to the Milwaukee Bucks for Greg Monroe in a first round pick. I think this will give us a good return on investment for what actually hasn't been a good investment in Hassan Whiteside. It will free up cap space if Greg Monroe opts out of his player option. And for the Bucks, 
Who wouldn't want to watch this team on League Pass? Great defense on paper. That's all I got to say, guys. Have a lovely day. All right. So Greg Monroe and Milwaukee's first-round pick for Hassan Whiteside. And, and as Ethan said, Greg Monroe has a option at the end of this year. But, David, you don't think he's going to use that. No, at this point, his his uh, statistical production has gone down significantly. He's not getting much playing time. He doesn't really fit into the Bucks' future and the way that that team is constructed. Uh, I guess they assumed that he'd have a, a much bigger role. But even coming off the bench, he's just not nearly as consistent as he's been. And his player option is for around $18 million. He's not going to get that anywhere else next season. So he's going to choose to elect his player option. I imagine he'll probably stay on the books for another $18 million. And I don't think that Miami would want to keep him at that price tag. It is about $5 million less than what they're paying Whiteside right now. Monroe is a better passer. He's more skilled offensively. I'm just thinking of reasons why the Heat would say that plus a first-round pick is worth it for us for Whiteside. If you can get... I don't know what... Milwaukee's not going to be in the lottery. They're probably going to be... I don't know. We're we're talking about a middling first round pick, 15, 16, 17, 18, something around there, right? From Milwaukee, yeah. especially if they get somebody like Whiteside who could I that could help that team. He could help that team. But um that plus Greg Monroe overpaying him. I don't know if you're necessarily playing overpaying for Monroe at this point. Maybe a little bit, but with the cap spike, who knows what overpaying is anymore? Is a, is Monroe a guy that you can keep out on the floor for thirty minutes, knowing that he's limited defensively, and that although he's probably better offensively, he's still going to hurt the team overall. And I think you'd have to surround him with the right complementary players. And Miami just doesn't have that at this point. Now, maybe through free agency or through the draft, they might be able to add those. But you have to, in order to maximize Monroe's skill set. Which is again a, one of a, a very skilled, you know, offensive player. He's got a good low post game. He can shoot from the mid range. He's a good passer, as you pointed out. But he is weak defensively. You'd have to surround him by four versatile yeah. defenders at, at all the wing positions, and that's not something that Miami has at this point. And if Winslow were like three or four inches taller, he could at least guard the center. You know, if if the sure. center was the biggest mismatch out of the, uh, the two front court players. Um, yeah, you know, I don't think I don't think you can play Greg Monroe for thirty minutes and win at a high level in this league. I'm just trying. I, I I don't know. I don't know. I think he's like a nice piece, but he's at this point exactly what Milwaukee is doing with him. Like you bring him off the bench and you let him, you know, dominate against reserve units, second units, and that makes sense. And he's able to do that, but I don't think you could play him for thirty minutes at a high level. I mean, you'd have to. You'd really have to find another power forward who could be the defensive anchor and so now all of a sudden we're talking about a second move because of one move if i I think that the trade's not awful i think there could be better trades out there for somebody like hassan whiteside if you give me now if you give me like what if you whiteside to milwaukee for now i'm just trying to think like john henson is a player i like that they have right and maybe he right. comes superfluous if if they all of a sudden have Whiteside. So if we let's, I'm bringing up the trade machine right now, which I'm burning a hole through this year. But well, he's making a lot less money, right? John so Hansen I'm, is making actually he just signed a, uh, an extension, a four year extension. So um, he's making oh Henson's making like ten million dollars less than Whiteside, but he's only making about five million less than Greg Monroe. So I don't know if this works, but no, the Bucks would have to throw in. 
Nirza Teletovich or Matthew Delvadova, which I don't think they'd want to part with either of them necessarily. So white side, what about white side McRoberts for Monroe, for Monroe Henson and the, and first, the first pick that works. You do Monroe and Henson for Hanson Whiteside, Josh Mc, and Josh McRoberts and he get a first round pick. Now we're talking because yeah. now you have all of a sudden John Henson's your starting center. Bring Monroe right. off the bench at the four, the five, whatever you prefer. And, and you get a first round pick out of that. I wonder if Milwaukee would do it. I don't know how much an upgrade. Uh, like the only reason they do that is if they feel like, Okay, we get out of the Monroe deal. We open up $18 million for next year. Which we'd be paying Whiteside, though. Yeah, you're going to be paying Whiteside and McRoberts the same, about you're, you're going to save 2 to $3 million next year on this deal if you're Milwaukee. And maybe, you, maybe you're in love with Whiteside's game and you think that McRoberts can come in there and provide the occasional spark if he, and when he ever gets healthy again. Yeah. It seems all those things would have to be, all those stars would have to be perfectly aligned in order for it to happen. And I don't know that Jason Kidd is looking at Whiteside right now and going, wow, I, I'll trade whomever I have to in order to get him. So, um, and Giannis Antetokounmpo is their center on defense anyway, and he's terrific. <laughs> so doesn't, right. uh, I think Milwaukee likes the switchiness that they have, and Whiteside does not provide that. So, Ooh, switchiness. Um, switchiness. And uh, so I think there's other options out there that might be a fit. And um, I'm just going to say this once. Everything I read now says that Portland has to trade C.J. McCollum. Now, there's nothing confirmed about that, but Miami Heat, Pat Riley, if you're listening, C.J. McCollum's a pretty good player if you could stay up for some of those West Coast games. Um, I think it's going to happen. Good. Do you really? Yeah, I do, actually. Huh. I think I think they're I'm becoming increasingly less enamored of Whiteside. I wouldn't doubt if he's moved. All right, I could do, I could do a whole hour on that, but we don't have time for that. So, but I'm with you. I think that's a that's a move that makes sense for both teams. Um, all right, well that's all we have for today. Thank you for our mailbag questions. Everybody who sent them, we really appreciate it. If you want to send in those questions, you can tweet us at Locked On Heat or send them by email. LockedOnHeat at gmail.com is where you can send them. Thanks to our sponsor, SeatGeek, the friendliest and smartest way to buy and sell tickets. Use the promo code LOHEAT to be like Harold and get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. And uh, if you're not subscribed already to the show, you can do that wherever you listen to the podcast. Then leave us a rating. It helps us um, on the iTunes charts, helps other people discover the show. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, David. You got it, Wes. Hey again, Wes here. So one of the reasons our boss, David Locke, started the Locked On Podcast Network is because podcasts are hot. I mean, of course they are. You're listening to one right now. And if your company is looking to reach listeners as awesome as you are, you should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked On Heat is listened to by 95% men, 74% of which are between the ages of 18 and 44. According to a recent study, podcast listeners are 65% more likely to engage with a sponsor than within any other media outlet. Plus, our rates are reasonable, or you can decide that for yourself. Just email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com to find out more about sponsoring Locked On Heat and engaging the audience you want to reach.